Live from WNUR News, I'm Jung and Jennifer Kim. You're listening to the 6 o'clock news on WNUR 89.3 F- uh, FM slash HD1, Evanston, Chicago. It's Wednesday, January 18, 2023. Tonight on WNUR News, Northwestern graduate workers voted to unionize. What comes next? Miss Universe, what happened? And our WNUR takes. How to make your New Year's resolution a reality and this week's NU Sports Report. Those stories coming up tonight on WNUR News at 6. Thanks for tuning in. Northwestern graduate workers voted to unionize last week. They now have the power to bargain with the university for better pay, hours, and more. Paz Baum has the story of how this change will impact grad students, undergrads, and the rest of the Northwestern community. Um, moment for me personally, but I'm also just really excited for the kind of bargaining process to come and to be able to say like really tangibly the things that are going to improve in graduate students lives because of the union. Columbia, the UC schools, MIT, and more. Northwestern is the latest in a long list of universities recently in the news for their graduate worker union. At Northwestern, grad workers voted to unionize on Thursday after six years of organizing. 21% of workers voted, of which 93% voted for the union. That's over 1,600 grad workers declaring that they want formal representation to negotiate a contract with the university. The organization NU Grad Workers, called NUGW, organized to make this union a reality. They are a network of grad workers from departments across the university who established the union's platform, large demonstrations on campus, and more. As a result of the vote, NUGW's members are part of the United Electric Radio and Machine Workers of America, the national union to which most graduate workers and unions belong. At the top, Rose Wirth, former co-chair of NUGW and current organizer in the sociology department, expressed her excitement about NUGW's recent win. I spoke with her to learn more about NUGW, the vote to unionize, and the implications this vote has for the Northwestern community. What are the benefits for graduate workers to be in a union? We do a lot of work for the university, grading, work in laboratories, we help develop curriculums, organize conferences, all manner of things, and don't really have any sort of say or input prior to having a union into our working conditions. Um, You know, there's always committees and you know the university when they choose to soliciting our input but there is really no legal grounding or formal way for us to uh, push back when policies aren't meeting our needs like workplace safety policies or arbitration policies um, or ways to say like hey you're not paying us enough we can't pay our rent we can't you know buy enough food we can't buy coats for our children we have children, those types of things. So a union gives us the actual like legal standing to negotiate those things with the university. After the union vote, Provost Kathleen Haggerty released a statement saying, quote, we look forward to beginning the process of negotiating a collective bargaining agreement that works for both the university and graduate students within the bargaining unit. How has the university reacted throughout this process of unionization? Before we were legally recognized, negotiating or meeting directly with the university wasn't something we were able to do. So most of the work to date um, 
has involved just having conversations and working face to face with other graduate students as we've organizing towards the election. So I am, you know, as happy to see that email go out um, with the university sort of accepting the results of the election and talking about getting to the bargaining table because I think that's just that's really where we're hoping to get next. What are some of your goals once you get to the bargaining table? Those five platform points, the kind of competitive pay, raises and stipends, and then for me, a social science student, um, I work in a program where in sociology, our average time to degree is seven years, and I'm only guaranteed five years of funding, so I'm in my fifth year now, and like, you know, I was up till 3 a.m. the other weekend putting in a fellowship application to try and make sure that I have funding for the next two years, so competitive pay, the comprehensive healthcare, there are some real gaps in our health insurance coverage as graduate students, professional standards and labs and class classrooms, which has to do with kind of the burden of TAing and the sort of safety issues and overworking issues that can happen in certain laboratories um, across campus, and then support for international students. Uh, and then just you know, part of this is just having a union on campus, but like being able to have a real say in the policies that affect us, and especially having an arbitration and a grievance system for when the worst happens, which we hope doesn't happen. And I think as we move towards bargaining, we're going to be able to talk, like, get more data from graduate students, have more conversations, and get really specific about the specific things we want to see in a contract. All right, and it sounds like there's obviously a lot of changes in store for grad students and grad workers, but how will life at Northwestern change for undergrad students and faculty and administrators now that grad workers are unionized? My hope is that a rising tide will lift all boats because, you know, we're, we as graduate workers play a really, you know, calling us workers is acknowledging the important role that we play on campus. You know, for undergraduates, we're um, if we're not just your TAs, we're your teachers. We're the ones, you know, sort of initiating you into like laboratory work with, you know, faculty. Sure, there are, are plenty of departments, as like I said, especially in the social sciences, that would love not to have to work really, really hard to try and make sure that their upper year students have funding. And, you know, for undergraduates, our working conditions as teachers and as TAs and as sometimes like laboratory managers are undergraduates learning conditions. So if we are able to create a better environment in the classroom, then that should hopefully spill over and just make Northwestern a more equitable place for everyone. And lastly, what comes next for NUGW now that the union vote succeeded? In a lot of ways, the work of the union starts right now. There's so much work that went into getting us to a union election, but the kind of grassroots organizing, which is what got us to the huge margin of victory that we had on election day, should just continue. So, you know, having organizers in every department, fostering leaders in every department to be able to talk to their coworkers about what's going on and what's happening. And that's like practical organizing, but it's also just a focus on community building and doing all of this by being in relationship with one another. According to Rose, the union hopes to use their newfound bargaining power to improve conditions for grad workers, if not before the end of this academic year, definitely by the end of 2023. For WNUR News in Evanston, I'm Paspa. Moving on to arts and entertainment, this weekend, Miss Universe took place and resulted in drama, a viral meme, 
and the new crown pageant queen. Reporter Maria Gmanio has the story. Miss Universe is... This Saturday, the much-awaited Miss Universe pageant took place in New Orleans, Louisiana. With 84 contestants from all around the globe, the pageant's 71st competition had everything, from hard-to-believe outfits, controversial takes, and a pretty viral meme. The night ended with the crowning of Miss USA Arbany Gabriel as the winner, with Miss Venezuela as the first runner-up and Miss Dominican Republic as the second runner-up. This has sparked lots of backlash and controversy. While some claimed that she should not have won due to her heavy and awkward costume, or simply because her answer was too long, the most notorious claim that has been swarming the news is that the competition was rigged in her favor since the Miss USA pageants. Some believe that Miss Universe owner and Jacopong Jacarayutatip's involvement with the Miss USA pageant and the competition taking place in the U.S. were important factors that contributed to Miss USA's crowning success. These claims have not been confirmed. Surprisingly, not many Northwestern students watched Miss Universe, but TikTok alerted them to the fact that the pageant was taking place. At our weekly WNUR staff meeting, I asked my fellow reporters what they knew about the pageant and what were their thoughts. Co-director Helen Bradshaw said she saw this on TikTok. It was Miss Portugal and Miss Brazil dancing together, and it was really nice because I feel like sometimes you're like, oh my god, they probably all hate each other because they're trying to win, but they were just having fun. A viral video, however, did leave its mark and was the main takeaway from the competition. I'm Margot Muell. So I have not seen Miss Universe, but I have seen some of the internet discourse about it. And I feel like this one like meme I've been seeing a lot is when the French woman introduced herself in kind of like a comical way. And there's just all the other countries and then her. So I've kind of seen that meme like repurposed. I saw a TikTok with all the contestants saying the names of their countries and it was making fun of the girl who said France. Yes. And that, like, not to make fun of someone, but it was a little bit funny. That was our executive producer, Poss Baum. For context, the TikTok, which shows the contestants announcing the names of their respective countries, sounds a bit like this. Albania! And this was the infamous clip of France. I kind of feel bad for the girl who said France because she might have just been really nervous and then it kind of blew up and everyone started making fun of her. And honestly, like when they play the clip where she like comes at the end and says France, all the other people yelling their countries don't sound that much better. Like they all kind of sound a little weird. If one thing's for sure, the contestants definitely made some noise, whether they won the pageant or not. For WNUR News, this was Maria Camaño. Thank you to all the delegates, thank you to the selection committee, and of course, thank you to our new Miss Universe! We're two weeks into the new year, and if you've already abandoned your resolution, you're not alone. Resolutions can be hard to stick to, but Oddities reporter Helen Bradshaw dug up some tricks and tips. Consciously think of everything we've done wrong and everything we want to do better. My New Year's resolution is probably to clean out my closets. My New Year's resolution is to quit caffeine. Stop saying slay. Try more of those like TikTok hair 
things. To actually go to class this quarter. To stop being friends with people that say my location has bipolar weather. Because that bothers me. To stop getting cores. That's a really gymnastics. These are some of our resolutions at WNUR News. But in 2022, a little under half of Americans made New Year's resolutions. The percentage who kept them, however, was around half of that. Other reports have found resolution failure numbers even higher. So how do we actually succeed? So the whole area of looking at sort of how we form habits falls under this larger umbrella called self-regulation, right? Which just means how do we control our own behavior, right? So if I want the donut, that's me who's wanting the donut. And yet it's also me who's stopping me from eating the donut. That's Wendy Gardner, an associate professor of psychology at Northwestern. What's more important than the individual person is the environment that they set up for themselves. In other words, the people who are most successful at achieving their New Year's resolutions, say, are not the people who are best at resisting temptation, but are the people who are smartest at making sure they don't run into temptation. So the best thing you can do is to set up your environment for success. Meaning if you are trying to eat more healthily in the new year, stock your fridge with healthy snacks that you know you will enjoy and put them front and center so that as soon as you open that refrigerator door, what you see are fruits and vegetables and hide all of the delicious things that may tempt you. The other thing you can do with your physical environment is to basically create a way that your environment reminds you what your goals actually are. I actually have an elliptical in my office, so it is the first thing I see when I walk in in the morning. Um, But I will also sometimes, you know, sleep in my workout clothes. So like when I get up, I'm like already dressed and I just have to put my shoes on and my shoes are conveniently located by the coffee maker, right? So like, in other words, I can't escape these reminders of what past me wanted current me to do. 32, is getting like an accountability partner, someone who can help sort of nudge you and actually help you achieve your goals in instrumental ways. So the best accountability partners are not those who've already achieved the goal you have, right? I mean, I can sit in the morning and watch someone work out and be like, awesome, and drink my coffee, right? That doesn't make me more likely to be successful. What makes me more likely to be successful is someone who can be instrumental in giving me the time and space to work out or even just giving me the nudge to work out and it's less costly for each of them to remind the other to do to do the thing than it is if they're solely relying on themselves so let's take our oddities editor allison for an example hi my name is allison and my new year's resolution is to get sexier It's not your typical New Year's resolution, but let's say Allison has set up her environment to make her feel sexier. Check. She's also got an accountability partner like a friend working towards the same goal. Another check. Then what seems like something that might be overwhelming to many of us is actually a really attainable goal. So how long should it take her to actually reach it? Here's the thing. We don't know. So there's this uh, myth in the world that it takes 21 days right, to form a habit. And a researcher at Duke, she did a study, the range was 18 days to 254 days. In other words, 
right? It is completely idiosyncratic. It depends on the person, it depends on the goal, it depends on their environment, it depends on your strategies. Now, certain things can make it easier and therefore quicker, right? If you can loop your new habit into sort of an old habit, sometimes called habit stacking, that can make it easier. And I definitely want to set sort of small and specific goals, right? And in part, this is because we as humans, we find progress towards goals really rewarding if we perceive that we are making quick progress. And so what this means is if you are like, this year I shall write my honors thesis, that's huge, right? That is a that is a huge goal. And yes, it's specific, sure, sure. But you're not going to get that sense of progress, of speedy enough progress to make that goal pursuit continue to be motivating and meaningful. So if Allison really wants to reach her goal, she might want to break it down. Step one, get a sexier mind. Read seven books that help you learn about the world while also looking like a mysterious, cool girl while reading them. Step two, get a sexier look. Go through your closet and create outfits that make you feel your best or whatever steps would achieve a personal goal of being sexier. We should just pick the hottest, most confident, bad version of ourselves and be that for the rest of the school year. But remember, forming New Year's resolutions is a tradition that started thousands of years ago. Common New Year's resolutions have often been framed by negativity, suggesting that something is wrong with ourselves. So if you don't meet a resolution or don't want to have one at all, don't beat yourself up over it. Goal setting can happen at any time and be successful, not just at the new year. WNUR's Ari Burnick said it best. I don't really want a New Year's resolution this year because I feel like I need to stop like telling myself that I constantly need to be improved, you know, and healed. We don't need to be in our healing era. For WNUR News, I'm Helen Bradshaw. It's your NU Sports Report for the week. Brendan Presman gives you, gets you caught up on everything there is to know about Northwestern athletics. For your NU Sports Report for the week. In basketball, the men's team has struggled over the past week, dropping a home game to Rutgers and an away game to Michigan, both by single digits. Against Rutgers, the Cats scored just 16 points in the paint and missed 8 of their 18 free throws. In the Michigan game, it was long-range shooting that smelled the Wildcats' doom, as the team shot just 6 for 23 beyond the arc. Michigan, meanwhile, made 10 of their 22 attempts from three-point land. A tough week was made even worse for the program when an announcement was made Tuesday that the game against Iowa, scheduled for tonight, had been postponed due to COVID-19 issues within the Northwestern program. According to Jeff Goodman of Stadium, the team would have had just six players available had the game taken place. Meanwhile, for the women's squad, a tough season continues to drag on. After a rough 93-64 blowout at the hands of Iowa last Wednesday, the team lost at home to Purdue by a margin of 65-54. The team has now scored more than 70 points in a game just once since the start of December, and their 63.9 points per game is tied with Rutgers for the lowest offensive output in the Big Ten. The defense has also had its issues and is ahead of only Wisconsin and Minnesota in the conference with regard to points allowed. Following the Purdue loss, the Wildcats are 0-7 in Big Ten play, and that mark will likely continue to take a beating, with matchups against two nationally ranked teams, number 2 Ohio State and number 21 Illinois, on the docket for the Cats over the next week. 
The fencing team had an excellent showing at the Tufts Invitational on Sunday, sweeping a three-team combination of LIU, Wellesley, and Tufts. The three victories moved the Wildcats' record to 18-6, and six, snapping a stretch in which the team suffered defeat in four of their last five matches. The score lines were a 21-6 victory over LIU, a 17-10 victory over Wellesley, and a 19-8 victory over Tufts. The fencing team will be in action again on Sunday at the Philadelphia Invitational. The women's tennis team opened regular season play last week with a doubleheader against Chicago rivals UIC and Chicago State. The Cats dominated both squads, garnering 7-0 wins over both. Against UIC, every singles match was a sweep, with Justine Leong winning every game in a 6-0, 6-0 victory over UIC's Zara Ryan. Against Chicago State, Leong lost just two games in a 6-1, 6-1 victory, while Brianna Crowley and Christina Hand also lost just two games in their matches, with Crowley winning 6-0, 6-2, and Hand winning 6-2, 6-0. This team will take to the courts next against Vanderbilt at home this Sunday. On the men's side of things, it was a very good week, with a 4-0 sweep of Notre Dame, a 4-3 win over North Carolina State, ranked number 19 in the country, and another 4-0 sweep, this time of Chicago State. Three of Notre Dame's matches didn't finish, but Northwestern had leads in two of the three when the matchups ended early. Against NC State, the team survived a tough battle, with Ivan Yatsuk surviving a first-set defeat and Trice Pickens earning a two-set victory in which both sets went to tiebreakers. The Chicago State match was a lot less dramatic, with every set being a sweep, including Yatsuk, Gabe Blecker, and Nathan Spear all winning 6-2, 6-0. The men's team will travel to Louisville for a match this Sunday. The wrestling team dropped to 2-2 after losing two tough matches against ranked opponents in number 2 Iowa and number 16 Nebraska. Against Iowa, Northwestern won just three individual matches in a 27-9 defeat, including number 11 Chris Cannon's victory in a 4-1 decision in the opening round of the 133-pound class. Number 4 Yaya Thomas also won his match in the 149-pound class, using a late takedown to move his record to 13-1 on the year. Andrew Davison won his match in the 197-pound class, 7-5, but that was all the victories the team could muster, with Iowa taking seven of the ten matches, though six decisions were by three points or fewer. Against Nebraska, the showing was better, but the team still fell 22-15. Cannon and Thomas both won, and Davison and Max Mayfield also took victories, with Davison earning his third pinfall victory of the year, but Nebraska taking three major decisions proved too much to overcome. Mayfield and Davison were the only Wildcats over 149 pounds to earn victories. The team will take to the mats next this Friday against Illinois at home. That's all for the NU Sports Report this week. Winter seasons are in full swing, and there's a lot of teams to watch out for. For more information about upcoming games, as well as how you can watch the Wildcats live, visit www.nusports.com. I'm Brendan Prizman, WNUR News. Taking a look into the headlines, the Bloomberg terminal that provides financial news and information is heavily relied on by full-time analysts in their daily work. Once only available at the Kellogg Global Hub, this high-tech hub is now accessible and available to students of all levels in the main library. Facebook and Twitter had banned Donald Trump's accounts after a mob of his supporters had attacked the Capitol, leaving many injured in 2021. Recently, the former president petitioned to unblock his accounts. And while Twitter reinstated it, Meta refused. That's all for WNUR News at 6 p.m. For more news updates and reports, follow us on Twitter at WNUR News. You can listen to these and other WNUR news stories on our website, WNUR.news. That's WNUR.news. 
Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our producer today is John Ferrara, and our reporters are Paz Baum, Maria Camaño, Helen Bradshaw, and Brendan Presen. From all of us here at WNUR News, thanks for listening. I'm Jung and Jennifer Kim. Catch our next newscast on February, January 20th at 6 p.m. Now, back to scheduled programming.